Well, this is week number four in our summer series, number four, the Grace Impact. And today, uh, we're going to see clearly that grace isn't fair. Grace isn't fair. And I, I, I need to warn you of a little something before we even get going. This will be the hardest part concerning grace for many of us to handle, to deal with, to swallow. Um, it's every bit as biblical, but I promise you, for some of you, you're going to think, and I, I don't think I like this part of grace. So there you go. You've been warned ahead of time. Uh, let's jump in. One of the uh, most repeated urban myths, maybe you've seen this one. It was uh, promoted by lots of famous people who said, this is what Microsoft founder Bill Gates said to a high school graduation. And it was reported that these were his words, but come to find out, this was actually uh, practical rules for life from California professor Charles Sykes. Uh, and he did create these rules, not Bill Gates. Here are the top seven rules about life. You won't necessarily learn them in high school. Here's uh, what Dr. Sykes says. Rule number seven, television is not real. Uh, in real life, people actually have to leave the coffee shop and go get a job. Rule number six, life is not divided into semesters. You don't get summers off, and very few employees or employers are interested in helping you find yourself. You do that on your own time. Rule number six, uh, excuse me, five, if you mess up, it's not your parents' fault, so don't whine about your mistakes. Learn from them. Rule number four, flipping burgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. Uh, rule number three, if you think your teacher is tough, wait till you get a boss. He or she doesn't have tenure. Uh, rule number two, be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll end up working for one. It's really true. Uh, Probably why this is so often attributed to Bill Gates. Uh, and rule number one, life is not fair, so get used to it. Life isn't fair, so get used to it. When they asked Dr. Sykes how he felt about the fact that everybody thought that Bill Gates was actually behind this list, here's what he said. I don't get too upset because I remember, hey, life isn't fair. <laughs> so, a couple questions before we get going. Why are we, most of us, were blessed to be born in this amazing country? And why is it that most of the world is born in areas that are war-torn and disease-infested and poverty-filled? You recognize most of the world grows up in really hard, poverty-filled, disease-ridden places. So, so why, why are we born in this wonderful place and, and they're not? That doesn't seem fair, does it? Why is it that many of us grew up in homes where our parents knew and loved Jesus, they modeled Jesus, they trained us to know Jesus, and... Then some of us here, we were born in homes. There, there was no Jesus. There was no Bible. There was no church. There was nothing. 
It, it doesn't seem fair, does it? Why is it that some of us here can eat double and triple Whoppers for every meal, double desserts after every meal, feast on fast food, rarely exercise, and still look like Larry Jones. And others of us, others of us, if we just smell and sniff too long in Kilwins or Johans, we gain weight. So what's up with that? Doesn't seem fair. This morning, we're going to look at a parable uh, that Jesus gives to talk about grace. Okay? And at the end of the parable, I want you to know, we're going to stand and read it in just a moment. Many of the people start grumbling and they're saying, that's not fair. That's not fair. That, that's not how it should be. So just know, grace and life isn't fair. Now here's the key before we stand and read. I want to give it to you. Grace is not about working and earning and deserving and meriting. And the hard part is most of us, that's how we live. We work for stuff. We earn it. We deserve it. We merit it. And that has nothing to do with the grace of Jesus Christ. And until that starts to sink in, this is really going to seem real foreign, okay? Jesus isn't talking about this present world in this parable as much as he's talking about what it's like to be in the kingdom of heaven. His kingdom, where Jesus is king, where Jesus is Lord. And the math of King Jesus regarding grace is wild. Just want you to, to know, it, it's scandalous by our accounts. You know, if you want to work, earn, merit, deserve stuff, you're going to look at his math today and say, eh, I don't think I like it. Because it just isn't fair. That's the problem. <laughs> Life isn't fair. Grace isn't fair. And the kingdom of heaven, it's not fair. It's all built on grace. Would you stand with me if you're able, please? We're going to start with uh, the last verse of chapter 19, verse 30. You understand the uh, divisions, the uh, chapter uh, numbering system didn't occur till the 13th century. So they're not inspired. And I would argue somebody should have put verse 30 in with chapter 20, but they didn't. Uh, anyway, we're going to start with verse 30, then we're going to read all the way through verse 16 of Matthew chapter 20. Okay, you ready? Can you handle something that's not fair? Can you handle it today? What, tell me, tell me, what are you thinking? Can you handle it? Okay, here we go. This is God's word. Start with verse 30, chapter 19. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, 
Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us today as we dig into your book right now? And Lord, I'm grateful that in a world that's not fair, you're good, and you're good all the time. So thanks for being gracious and merciful to us. And Lord, thanks for being gracious and merciful when we're on the mountaintop and things are going marvelous. And we praise you especially that you're merciful and gracious. And you never leave us or forsake us when the bottom drops out. When we're in uh, the worst moments of our lives. Lord, would you speak real clearly and loudly and personally today through your word? We recognize that uh, you have things to say to us. You think things in ways that we don't think that way. But we recognize it, it's our thinking, our attitudes, our mode of life that needs adjusting, not your book. Help us to tune in to your still small voice. We invite you to come and we welcome you in your church today. Uh, whisper and prompt and speak very clearly to us as a church family. And Lord, more specifically, speak to us as individuals. And I just want to pause for a moment because I know some of my friends here in the church family, they're, they're in a bad place today. Some have lost people they love. Others, Lord, have just gotten news this last week they didn't want to hear. Others uh, are dealing with chronic pain and trouble and difficulty. Some are overwhelmed. Some are lonely. Lord, I pray for each and every person right in the position, the circumstance they're in. Would you, uh, would you let them know, Lord, how much you love them? Lord, might they understand even right now that you're right at their side. And Lord, help us to do our part. Lord, would you prompt us if there's people around us who need us to love and care and listen and perhaps even to take action, would you make that clear? Help us to uh, love one another as you've called the body of Christ to love. 
Speak, Lord. Your church, we're listening. We're ready to hear from you. And all the church family at Wallen Lake said with one unified voice. Main idea of the parable. Ready? Here we go. Some workers were hired at 6 a.m. And they agreed to work for Daenerys. Okay, let's just say they're 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. work. Let's just call it $100. I realize that's not $15 an hour. I hope you'll be gracious and not hold that against me. But we'll just, just for sake of clarity, we'll call that $100. Daenerys, they're gonna, they said, yeah, we'll work for $100. bucks. we will start at 6. We'll get off at 6. We agree. A second batch of workers is hired at 9. Verse 4 says they agreed to work for the landowner, whatever is just, whatever is right. So they didn't even agree to the amount they'd be paid. They're saying, we trust you. You're going to pay us what's appropriate. And that's exactly how they agreed to work. Nine hours work uh, for whatever is right. We trust you. Third group of workers is hired at noon. And they're going to work six hours for whatever is right. And another group of workers is hired at 3 p.m. So now they're going to work three hours and they're going to trust the landowner. Uh, but then verse 6 is the most unfair group of all. Uh, the landowner goes and he hires workers at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Which means they're only going to work for one hour. They're only going to work one hour, and here's the point. They're going to receive the same amount of money, the same amount of pay as those who were hired at 6 a.m. And that's when things get a little grumbly. Slide down to verse 11. Uh, the 6 a.m. workers, they're thinking, well, we're going to get more. Surely he's going to bless us even more but when they realize I'm going to get the exact same pay as those who only worked for one hour, they grumbled. They were saying, that's not fair. <laughs> that's just not fair. That's not the way it should be. What, what are you thinking? We've been out here toiling all day long, hot, sweating, giving it our all. And then they come in and they work one hour. They don't even work up a sweat and they get the same pay. Pause. Jesus is not teaching here about labor and work principles. You, you understand. If, if you're going to put uh, principles for how to run a business or how to be a good boss, that's not the purpose of this parable. But Jesus is saying something very clearly. Give me your eyes. This is huge. There is a payday coming. And everybody here today is going to receive one of two wages. That, that's the point of the parable. There is a payday coming and all humanity throughout all of history, you are going to get paid at the end of your life. And it either will be sin and death and judgment as your payday, or it will be eternal life with Jesus Christ. That's the point of this parable. There is a payday coming. Which side are you going to line up on? Which side are you going to believe? Which side 
are you going to live out in your daily life? The determining factor is not your work, your effort, your goodness, being moral, being religious. That has nothing to do with which payday you'll receive. The determining factor is the grace of Jesus Christ. Here's how Philip Yancey says it in his book. Extended quote. Here we go. The workers' discontent arose from the scandalous mathematics of grace. They would not accept that their employer had the right to do what he wanted with his money, even when it meant paying scoundrels 12 times what they deserved. Many Christians who studied this parable identify with the employees who put in a full day's work rather than the add-ons at the end of the day. We like to think of ourselves as responsible workers, and the employer's strange behavior baffles us, just like it did the original hearers. We risk missing the story's point that God dispenses gifts, not wages. He's a giver of gifts, not wages. If paid on the basis of fairness, we all would receive hell. Do you understand that? If justice is the point, if we get what we deserve, all of us are going to receive sin, death, and judgment. And that's the point. It's all about grace. Many of us, we come to faith in Jesus Christ by faith alone, in Christ alone, and we enjoy the grace of salvation. Just track with me for a moment. But then quickly we start getting busy and we start earning and serving, giving it all. Don't get me wrong, that's needed and necessary. We're created to do good works. But if we're thinking that's what Christianity is all about, pretty soon we forget about grace. So you came to faith in Christ by grace, and now you start living by works and effort and doing good stuff. And pretty soon, it's all about being busy and working and deserving. And you miss the grace, the daily grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. And oh, by the way, we're really upset. And anybody who's not working as hard as me, anybody who's not serving as long as me, anybody who's not sweating as much as me, if we're not careful, we're not very kind to our fellow workers. Because I don't think you're pulling your weight. And pretty soon, the grace of Jesus Christ evaporates and we're just mean and ornery at each other. Because you're not working like, or, or when I'm working and I'm sweaty, I'm not very nice. But you came to Christ by grace. Isn't that how we're supposed to live? I point to uh, Luke chapter 15. Actually, Pastor Brant's going to conclude our series in Luke 15. But... I want to just talk about the older brother. Because the truth is, most of us, if we've been in church for a while, if we're not careful, we start thinking like the older brother. And the older brother was the pouting one. He uh, stayed home and he worked hard while his younger, wild brother was off living in sinful living. Do you remember that? Luke chapter 15? He was living in foolishness, but the older brother was faithful and hardworking, and he was all in. Okay, Now, both the older brother and the workers hired at 6 a.m. grumbled. 
at the father and the landowner. Do you remember that? Uh, the, the ones who were hired us, I'm grumbling because I'm not getting treated fairly. And the older brother, he's grumbling because I don't like the generosity that you're showing to this, this younger brother of mine who is so foolish and squandering. He doesn't deserve, he doesn't merit, he hasn't earned your grace, Father. You understand? He, he doesn't deserve it, I do. And, and they're envious, and they resent the grace of the Father. They resent the grace of the landowner. Now, need to explain something. Matthew 20 is aimed at the Jews of Jesus' day. Specifically, likely, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, teachers of the law, they thought, the Jews of Jesus' day thought they had earned Jehovah's grace. They really hadn't. It was all God's grace on them. But after a while, they were meticulous. They were hardworking. They hung in there. They even added thousands of extra rules and, and regulations. And now they were pretty sure we deserve, we've earned Jehovah's grace. Because we've been so faithful down through the centuries. And now Jesus is talking like, you're going to actually open up your grace to Gentile dogs? Really? You're, you're actually going to open up your salvation to people outside of the Jews? Are you kidding? And, and they are resenting these latecomers. How dare you open up your kingdom to non-Jews? They've not earned it. They don't deserve it. That's not fair. It's just not fair. I'd like to point you to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, there's this guy named John the Baptist. Do you remember what Jesus says about John the Baptist? Greatest man ever born of a woman. And, and John the Baptist is all in. He's faithful. He's doing God's work. He's preparing the way of the Messiah. He's in there. He's doing battle. He, he's all in. And then this man doing faithful, effective, hard ministry winds up in prison. Do you remember why he was in prison? Because he spoke up against Herod. And Herod had him put in prison. And then in Matthew chapter 14, uh, this little girl comes and does this little dance and Herod says, whatever you want, you can have it. And she says, I think I want John the Baptist's head delivered to me on a platter. Recall that? Very gruesome. But I, I just want you to point out this hardworking, gave it his all, winds up in prison, winds up losing his head. Faithful, hardworking man. Contrasted with Luke chapter 23. Turn there with me if you've got your Bible in your on your phone because it's pretty interesting. In Luke chapter 23, uh, we see Jesus on the cross and there's this thief that's uh, cussing and yelling and profaning Jesus. But then there's this other. Uh, verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself, save us. But the other criminal on the other side of Jesus 
says, don't you fear God, he says, since you're under the same sentence? We're punished justly for what we're getting, what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. So he even says it with his own mouth. We're getting what we deserve. We deserve justice. We deserve the cross. We deserve to die. And then, look at verse 42. This is wow. Uh, then he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, would, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And uh, Jesus says, verse 43, Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So, let's just take a moment. You've got John the Baptist served God faithfully, imprisoned, all sorts of trouble, persecution, opposition, winds up losing his head over some silly uh, willingness with Herod. It's awful stuff, but, but he gave it his all. He died all in. And now you've got this thief who it seems was a thief, lived a life of thievery, and now he's getting exactly what he deserves, and now he's going to get the exact same wages as the guy who was all in and gave it all he had and wound up dying for the cause of Christ? That's not fair. <laughs> Can I just say, that's not fair. I quote Andy Stanley, the grace of God. If the kingdom of heaven were reserved for good people, this man didn't have a prayer. He didn't have a chance. Repentance from a cross is meaningless. Rededication when you only have hours to live doesn't count for anything. We're all sorry once we're facing the penalty of our actions. He's nothing to promise, nothing to offer. Restitution is impossible. No bargaining power. He's earned the cross. He's earned an eternity separated from all that was good. He was on his way to receiving exactly what he deserved. But then Jesus turns to him. Why bother? Why acknowledge him? Why even talk to him? I tell you the truth, Jesus says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. All workers receive the same amount. Did you get that? Every one of the workers, 6 a.m. workers, 9 a.m. workers, noon workers, 3 p.m. workers, 5 p.m., they all receive full denarius, which is a full day's wage, which means they're all going to be a part of the kingdom of Christ. So what is your reward? Think with me now. So what is your denarius? What are you working for right now? And let me just say real fast, heaven is the wrong answer. Do you say, oh, I'm heaven. That's the wrong answer because the real treasure of a personal relationship with Jesus is being with Jesus for all of eternity. If you look here, the thief on the cross, Jesus turns to him and says, today you're going to be with me. Emphasis with me in paradise. 
I would suggest some of us get a little bit too infatuated with the paradise and we forget that the essence of glory, the essence of eternity, the essence of the new heaven and the earth is being with Jesus. You understand? So having a relationship with Jesus is what eternal life is all about. It starts now and it continues on. The real treasure is a personal relationship with Jesus that lasts forever. All who trust in Jesus, give me your eyes, whether we do so as a child or a teenager or a middle-aged person or right at the end, all of us have a personal relationship with Christ. All of us who say yes by faith, we have a relationship with Jesus that lasts for eternity, wherever Jesus is. You understand? That's what it means to be a father. I'm, I'm in it with Christ. I'm walking with Christ. I'm connected to Christ. And wherever Jesus is, that's paradise. It's not some glorified, ramped up Disney World stuff. It's Jesus. You understand? That's the essence of being a follower of Christ. So, what, what's lessons for us here today from Matthew chapter 20? What, what do we learn from uh, this grace that really isn't always fair? It doesn't feel fair. What's the takeaway for you and for me? Here's the first. Write this down. you got a place on the back. If you're here, might as well remember why you're here, right? Uh, first, if you're called into a personal relationship early in your life, and many of you became followers of Jesus when you were young, You've been hardworking. You've been giving it your all for a long... Some of you have been in it for decades and decades and decades. Can I just say, don't forget that when you came to Christ, you were just as needy and dependent on the grace of King Jesus as those who come much later. See, sometimes we minimize, because I was so young, uh, I didn't really need as much grace. That's a lie. I would argue the fact that His grace prevents us and insulates us and actually keeps us from wandering in the foolishness of this world is an act of grace all and in of itself. So uh, to serve King Jesus from a child on or from a teenager on is to have the grace of Jesus rain down in our lives. What a great privilege. Never minimize. Take delight in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ and His amazing grace. Second, um, it's never too late to come to Jesus and accept His amazing grace. It's never too late. I've shared a couple times. I will allude to it right now. One time, I was called late at night went down to what at that time was Bort's nursing home. Um, and uh, someone from the family here said, would you please go see my grandpa? He's dying. So I checked in. They were kind of, why are you here at like 11 o'clock at night? Um, I just got this call. And then they look at me and they say, but he's been unconscious for days. Um, it's not going to be long. He's going to be gone. And I said, would you mind if I just go in and talk? And when I went in, uh, 
He sat up, <laughs> woke up. I talked to him. I said, uh, your grandson asked me to come visit you. I shared Jesus with him. And the night before he died, the next day he died, that night he asked Jesus to come to his life. Okay. That, that, that's grace. Yeah, it is. And some would say, can I just say, I, I've had relatives who said, that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair because I've been in it all these days and here this guy's been, who knows how he's been living, but, but now the night before he dies, comes to faith in Christ, that's not fair. Can I say that's only happened one time? <laughs> one time in my nearly 40 years as a pastor. Once. And if you're looking for deathbed conversions in the Bible, I think Luke 23 is it. That's the only one I can find. The only time in Scripture where somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ right at the end is the thief on the cross. So um, let, let me just say, um, there's hope. There's hope. But at the same time, to presume upon the Lord's grace and say, no, no, I, I don't think I want anything to do with him. I think I'm going to wait till just before I die, presuming upon... I just want you to know it's rare. And if you've hardened your heart for that long, uh, there's a real good chance it's going to stay hard even at the end. But having said that, it's never too late. So if you've got people in your life, be praying for them. Don't give up. Keep knocking on the door of heaven. Lord. Work hard. Finally, third lesson and we're done. Have you noticed we live in kind of an angry world these days? Is it just me? Or are people more angry, more frustrated with life, um, more selfish, don't really care about anybody else, and pretty proud and full of themselves? and uh, pretty much all about me. So, in that kind of world, can I say to you, grace really stands out. <laughs> in this angry, selfish, proud world, when, when people see grace, it catches them off guard. It really does. And here's my point. Um, if we... Followers of Jesus Christ who've been saved by grace and daily as we connect with Him have His amazing grace flowing in our lives through His Spirit. I'm telling you, we're called to be people of grace. To catch the attention of the people around us who are hungry and desperate because they see the anger, they see the selfishness, they see the pride and when you and I aren't living that way but splashing grace, I'm telling you, nothing we do shouts Jesus more than showing people grace today. Nothing we can do. When, when, we, when we show people who are angry and upset, but we show them forgiveness and love, wow, what's up with you? When, when the neighbor who's unreasonable, when the boss who's grumpy, when you have the family member that nobody can get along with and yet you show grace, I'm telling you that speaks volumes. We're called to be people of grace. 
And I'm telling you, as we live grace to the people around us, it's amazing. It's awesome. And right now, some of you are thinking, but Pastor Jeff, I show them grace. You know what I get back in return? Zip, nada, zero. So, so you're asking me to show them grace, and they're giving me nothing in return. That's not fair. I mean, I have to be generous and forgiving and loving, and they get to be mean and selfish and rude and proud in return. It's just not fair. You're absolutely right. It's not fair. It's grace. Do you understand? You're, you're right. <laughs> Life's not fair. But we've been shown the grace of Jesus Christ. And now we have the honor to live Jesus in front of an angry, hostile, selfish, mean, proud world. We get to show them grace. Because we've been shown grace ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, I recognize that uh, living in an unfair world is really hard. And some of my friends right now, they're in situations that are really unfair. But that's why the fact that you walked here on earth and you experienced unfairness firsthand in ways that we can't even imagine brings us lots of comfort. Because you know what it's like. Lord, for those who came to a personal relationship with Jesus early in their lives, Lord, would you help us to remember that when you called us, we were just as needy, just as desperate sinners, potential sinners. We're just as dependent on your grace as anyone who comes to your son decades later. Lord, help us to never give up on people just because they've resisted your grace for a long time. Lord, I want to pray for our loved ones, and some of them continue to march on and refuse to say yes to Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb. Lord, would you help us just to splash extra, extra buckets of grace on them so they can see what they're missing? Would you soften their hearts and draw them to yourself? Might your awesome grace break through their walls, Lord. And I'm asking, Lord, that you'll help us to daily live grace and the fruit of your Spirit before those who we live with. Help us to first splash lots of grace on family. Help us to splash grace on those that we work with, that we go to school with, that we play sports with. I pray especially for those folks who... Uh, require extra grace. Lord, would you give us extra grace to love and care and forgive them. And finally, Lord, if there's anybody here who's never said yes to you by faith, they've never believed your shed blood on the cross, never accepted that your shed blood and your rising from the dead brings victory might your grace and love knock real loud on their hearts, Lord. Even right now. Draw them to yourself. Open up their eyes. Soften their hearts, Lord. Make them hungry 
to know you. We love you, Lord. Thanks for, uh, for the grace that you've shown most of us. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Thank you.